Two pastors and Tom walk into a bar, but this is no joke. It's the start of a conversation between three friends about culture, God, beer, and more. So pull up a chair, order a pint, and let's get started. Welcome to Pint Glass Preachers. Hosting with me, as always, are Josh and Gabe. Today, we're going to talk about vocation. And I could make the easy joke here and talk about my family's recent Disney vocation. I could crack wise about how my wife and I are looking forward to a vocation in Peru. Instead, I'll take the more cynical route. Vocation is simply a word that church workers use when mounting their high horse during a Bible study, usually when juxtaposing their saintly career choice of serving the Lord God Almighty and your more craving career choice of, well, whatever it is you do that doesn't require you to work on Sundays. Wait, is that it? Just ended there like that? Yeah, that was it. So like in church work, we have to have good conclusions in the things that we say. Is that in the secular see, world, Tom? See, do there it is. There, talk about vocation. I feel like you took a mental vocation at the end of that introduction. Yeah, that was, I mean, it was a great start. I was, I was hooked. And then you just dropped the ball. Okay, uh, friends, we're glad to have you with us. As always, uh, we are the podcast that now has over 15,000 downloads. And I know we're self-deprecating. That's actually not a joke. We really do. So thank you all for listening and enjoying. And uh, well, we hope you're enjoying. I don't know. Uh, but uh, thanks for doing that. Sharing with friends uh, it means a lot to us. We appreciate it. And we'd love to interact with you more. Check us out on social media, Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. Uh, and also text us your questions at 612 some other numbers after that. <laughs> <laughs> Great job, Gabe. Oh, Do my you God. in church God, work also so just forget random what? stuff? 208 gospel messages, Mark, uh, one of the chapters, you know, whatever. Oh, my gosh. I can't believe it. 208-6258. 612-208-6258. What are we drinking tonight, boys? Well, first of all, first of all, since you dropped them all on the texting thing, I feel like we need to redeem this with yet another plea to, for someone to accept the Rosé Challenge. <laughs> like, with 15,000 downloads, I find it absolutely unbelievable <laughs> that no one has had a single encounter with Rosé. Ever. There, I, I know there's someone out there. And, and I know Josh, it's not just me. I know it's not just me. So, if you text us your... What? Is this going to be a new internet challenge that goes viral, the Rosé Challenge? Uh, if like, it does, then we're going to blow up, up and I'm going to start collecting royalties. Oh, my gosh. That's right. Rosé royalties. That's what's going to happen. All right, uh, so but in regard to what I'm actually drinking tonight, it's not Rosé. I'm actually really excited about what I'm drinking. I've been waiting to share this with you and all of our good listeners the entire evening. So I recently discovered this style of IPA called a New England IPA. Very fruity, very citrusy, and unfiltered. And so it's really cloudy, almost like a Hefeweizen. And uh, I know I've been on this kick as well with my Chattanooga Brewing Company connection here in town. Drinking a lot of their beers, promoting them on the pod. But they just released this delightful New England IPA. So that's what I'm drinking tonight. And it's delicious. And 
better than Rosé, but at the same time, I still wish someone would share in their Rosé with me. Being right. that, we're that we're recording this to before the Super Bowl, does your New England IPA win the top award like what seems like every single year? Ooh, uh, no, because unlike the Patriots, New England IPAs are fairly undiscovered. They're kind of new to the market. They haven't established, you know, multiple dynasties over the last few decades of football. So, so a New England IPA circa 2000. They also don't cheat. Uh, it's like a, it's a Drew Bledsoe New England IPA. Yeah, <laughs> yeah there you go. It's, it's a, it's an, it's a New England IPA with integrity. Yeah. Yeah. Pre, yeah. pre Belichick. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, that's right. Love it. And our good listeners, we're just trying to make Tom feel better after that horrific new england whomping it was, it was a i'm not sure what new england right. played they did not play the vikings josh no they didn't no they didn't the, the vikings lost and new england whomped wait no they didn't did they almost no, they lose didn't. The it was a very close game between Jackson. oh yeah that's and right maybe i was just thinking of what would happen if the patriots played the vikings it would be a whomping Somehow we went from 15,000 downloads to 14 with this last 20 seconds. Um, All right. What are you drinking, Gabe? Going. I, I'm drinking a two-hearted ale, which is a uh, – I think I've had it on the show before, but it's an American IPA uh, from Bell's Brewing Company in, in Comstock, Michigan. It's got this gross-looking fish on it. It's very cool. Um, but it's very tasty. It's it's one of my favorite IPAs right now. So cheers to this Dude, one. Hey, cheers to Bell's, but I've got some bad news. Hmm. Did you know that Founders just overtook Bell's as – the number one beer. I did know that. And in fact, I don't see it as bad news. I really like Founders. Their all-day IPA is probably my favorite. No, um, Founders is great. I just meant like poor Bells were just yeah, dethroned, yeah, you know, yeah. and it's like an inter-Michigan kind of, you know, beef. Going down, bro. Yep. Speaking of true. beefs, we're going to get to a beef here in just a second. But before we do, Tom, you need to liquor up. Uh, what are you drinking tonight, buddy? I'm, I'm doing bourbon and ginger again. Uh, it's kind of been my choice for like the last month and a half and still enjoying it. So... Cheers. Hey. Well, glad I'm glad you're it. enjoying that because I'm going to introduce a new beef that has been developing and simmering pretty much since you started drinking uh, bourbon and gingers on this show. And as a segue <laughs> into yet another excuse to text us your questions at Gabe, what's that number again? I just can't seem to remember. Look, I'm doing it without looking at our script. 612-208-6258. Has been taking advantage of that accessory to our show and sending a lot of messages, namely pointed at Tom. Uh, it had to do with this episode on academics and sports and athletics and who deserves what or who doesn't deserve what. And it's come to a head where we have an official pint glass preachers. Beef involves one of my fellow co-workers, a fine gentleman named Zach. And, uh, and he noticed in our most recent episode on momentum that Tom's math was pretty poor, uh, that Tom was describing two football teams playing each other. Can I explain all this, Tom? Are you all right with that? Yeah, sure, man. Go okay. ahead. I don't mean to embarrass you, but uh, Tom said that, quote, one team went down the field and scored a field goal to go up by two, which is entirely possible. And then he said the other team went the other way down the field and scored a field goal to, quote, go up by two, which is mathematically impossible for a field goal is worth three points. And if you were down by two, you could then only go up by one. And so Zach pointed this out and uh, insulted Tom. And so Tom got all offended. And Tom, what's your what's your retort, buddy? Read his text. Read his text. All right. Josh, you got the text? Nope. 
the only one that does any work on this show, you know, and I miss one thing and you guys just, 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 just come at me for it. Uh, give me one second. I got it. I was in charge of Here production, we go. making he this says, cool, like bah, 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 beef noises. <laughs> Here it is. Question for Thomas and his sensational education based purely on academics. How many points is a field goal worth? Zach, you are absolutely right. My typo, my verbal mistake is a clear indication that I not only failed to grasp the most basic principles of the game of football, but that I also have a serious deficiency in arithmetic. Your clever use of sarcasm and wit, and since this is a podcast, I hope you're clearly hearing the air quotes around the word wit. Wit surely have punctuated your argument that my post-secondary education was somehow flawed or lacking. Of course, the original argument was not that my choice of university provided a lesser education, but that the education system in general, nationwide, needs to be changed, in my opinion, so that we can better prepare our young adults for a career choice or vocation that they are truly passionate about and qualified for. You know, speaking of young adults, Zach, you sound exactly like the thing falling outside my window, a snowflake. There's you are when typing the word your. Tell you what, Zach, when I need advice on how to peacefully live in my parents' bank call. Wow. 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 First of all, where was all that amazing vocabulary in our introduction for this episode? Yeah, seriously. Can't wait to hear what he says about your most recent intro. But, Tom, you got to know, Zach is Team Tom. Like, been Team Tom since day one and uh, is, 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 is probably the biggest advocate of you, the layman, Mr. Joe Plummer. And, uh, and here you are running him down. So I don't know what we do with that. How, how was I supposed to know that he's Team Tom when he's, you know, calling me out on all this stuff and giving me all this grief over a simple podcast? Doesn't sound like Team Tom. Well, you know, this raises a this raises a really interesting point that I think will take us right into break. Um Listeners, take this opportunity during the next 30 seconds of our break to log on to Facebook and vote. Whose team are you on? And yes, this is an homage to Twilight. And it's not. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I can't even finish that sentence. But seriously, is it Team Gabe? Is it Team Gabe, Team Josh, or Team, team Tom? Tide. Okay, so use this break to get on Facebook right now and vote. Are you a Zach? Team Everyday Man Tom, or do you want to be an elitist snob with me and Gabe? Mm. We're going to break. See you on the flip side. Flippity flaps. Flip flop. Flip flop. Anonymous. Welcome back. We are going to get into our discussion on vocation. And uh, despite the the somewhat cynical intro, we are going to discuss what what does vocation mean? What is it, how is that different from the word job, the word career, uh, and how that applies in, in in a Christian context, I guess? So Gabe, kick us off. Tell us a little bit more about what we mean by vocation and what we're going to be talking about specifically. 
Yeah, absolutely. All right. So uh, the word vocation, it, it comes from the Latin word vocatio, uh, which means calling or, or yeah, to be called. And, uh, and so the idea behind vocation is that, uh, that every Christian has a calling. And so this, this idea was, was really championed by Martin Luther. I don't know that I'd say he invented it, but, but he championed it and really kind of, uh, brought it to the forefront in Christian thought. And, and really, you know, in Luther's day, there's generally kind of three realms, if you will, that, that people sort of, he saw were called to. And so you have on the one hand that they had the vocation of um, being a a uh, citizen of, of whatever kingdom they're a part of, whatever country they're a part of, that they have the vocation as citizen to, to be subject to where they are, whatever else. Okay, then second thing they had was they, they had the vocation of being a, uh, a member of a local church, uh, a member of the body of Christ in, in their local context. Um, and then thirdly, they had uh, the the vocation that belonged to them as being part of a family, as being part of a family unit. So whether that be husband, father, son, daughter, whatever, uh, mother, wife, that 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 was um, that that was part of their calling as well. Now the reason why he only had those three, because you may notice I did not mention job in any of that, uh, is because you know in, in his day, like your family and your work were just pretty much interconnected. Like unless you were clergy or that's about it. Uh, whatever your family did, you did it too. And so, so he kind of bundled job and family together. Whereas we, of course, in our modern context would probably distill those two out and say family and then your job or your career. And so we would probably look at four different categories. Uh, one more thing that's important to note though, is that all of these vocations, these different callings, these different stations we have in life, um, are all, you know, preceded by our ultimate vocation, if you're a Christian, uh, as uh, as a child of God, that, that ultimately our first and primary and fundamental calling is as a child of God, follower of Jesus, et cetera, et cetera, uh, whatever language you want to insert there. Uh, but then flowing from that would be to be a citizen, to be a church member, to be a member of your family, uh, and and to uh, to do your work, to do your job, and see that as a calling. You know, Gabe, and, you... Yeah. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, you used to be uh, a pastor in the South. Mm-hmm. I still am currently a pastor in the deeper South. Yeah. And <clears throat> I'm sure you ran into this time and time again where people would kind of throw this word out calling sort of mm-hmm. flippantly but earnestly at the same time. You know, like I just really felt like God was calling me to a different career or I just really felt like God was calling me into, uh, you know, you know, this area of ministry. I feel, really feel like God was calling me out of this particular activity that I was doing. And for me, it always seems to be almost like a, ah, oh gosh, like, you know, I had, a, I worked for a pastor who once said, you know, you can't tell if it's the Holy Spirit or the pizza you had last night for dinner or something like that. But it was just kind of like this catch all phrase for any type of life decision. Now, are you saying right, that right. Luther's definition of vocation is different than what, what you may have encountered and I encounter on a fairly regular basis uh, being this sort of like calling as just Christian decision making. Well, right. hold on. And I mean, guys, I've never heard someone use the word calling when it it is going in a perceived direction away from God. You know, what? I really felt called to stop doing church work and go and. Well, I don't know, th- but I don't think anyone's actually said a- that. No, no one ever says that, but but we always say it the other way. You know what? I just really felt a calling to stop my hedge fund job. 
uh, and, and really get into, you know, go do missions overseas. Like as soon oh, as I we, see, I see what you're when you're going to do something magnanimous, it's, it's a calling, but when you go the other way, we don't say much about it. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, Gabe, we'll kind of toss this back to you, but yeah, I feel like already that sort of highlights a lot of the nuances that, that have stemmed from this, this idea that was kind of, you know, propagated it and really, like you said, championed by Luther uh, during the reformation. Yeah, so I think what I would say to that is I think Luther would view it differently, but there there's kind of two questions that vocation seeks to answer. This the I guess doctrine of vocation, if you will, seeks to answer. And and I'd put it this way is is one, uh, why does my work or why do my vocations, why does what I do slash who I am, but for shorthand, I'll just say work, because uh, oftentimes that's what we think about. Why does my what is my why does God care about my work is question one. And then question two is, uh, why does God matter to my work? Okay. So why does God care about my work and why does God matter to my work? And, and I think if we can get at that, that actually gets at this sort of weird thing that we do in American Christianity where, you know, like I just really felt called to drive my car South today instead of North. And it's just, what does that even mean? Right. So, so if we kind of first, like if we peel back the, the the layers here, so when Luther would talk about calling, and this one I think is pretty simple and like, hopefully we'd all grab hold of it, is he'd say, listen, first of all, the reason why your work matters to God, so question one, why does your work matter to God, is because through you, uh, God takes care of and sustains his creation, right? So just a quick example, right? So in the Lord's Prayer, we pray, give us this day our daily bread. And Luther would say, and in fact, God does give us this day our daily bread. Ah, but how does he do it? Uh, he does it through the vocations of other people. So he does it uh, through the work of, of the farmer and then the bread factory and the stock boy and the clerk at the checkout counter. And through that, God gives you your daily bread. And so that's where, you know, Luther's kind of known for uh, popularizing this idea or, well, his this is one thing he did actually say where he said, um, you know, God is is milking the cows through the hands of the milkmaid. Right. So you get your milk from God. But but what does he use to bring That's you that? Sexist. Milk? Whatever uh, is is the milkmaid. <laughs> so, yeah, I thought you said you were a son of a dairy farmer. Like you should know better than anyone, Gabe. It's not sorry. just maids that do the or milking. The milkman. Um, but but he would say like. Ah, geez. You know that that, and this is where this language of being masks of God comes in. That that kind of taking care of God's creation in a general sense, uh, that we're functioning as His masks, that He's working behind the scenes all the time through the hands and feet of of people's quote unquote regular jobs. Can I can I ask a question real quick? Yep. And if it's going to take us off topic, then just stop me, and we'll save it for another episode. Um, but when you were talking. It sounds as if then work, and, and I know we're kind of distilling vocation right now for the sake of the conversation to to work duties, right? Sure. Um, and, and callings in that sort of sense. However, the way that you just were were kind of delineating what what Luther's doctrine of vocation is and 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 how it's been explained, you know, over the years. It seems to almost glamorize the work that we do in this as Christians in the sense that it has some greater purpose, right? God, if we are masks of God, uh, if we are fulfilling our vocations and God is working in and through us to provide basic necessities, 
to other people, to not just other Christians, but to our neighbors and that type of thing. That sounds that that our work is generally a good thing. But the one hangup that I've always had with that kind of premise is that when we look back to the origins of work, it was the result of a curse. Ah, no, you're so wrong. Um, God gives work, right? So like read Genesis 2. Sorry, that was a really harsh way to tell you you're wrong, but well, I don't care. Uh, uh, well, I'm waiting because in a recent debate, I'm still waiting on a, on a retort. I know, I know, Actually, I know. yep. So but anyway, in Genesis just, just lay it on me. Just lay it on me. In Genesis 2, uh, God, God says to Adam and Eve, he says, hey, uh, fill the earth and subdue it. Uh, have dominion over the earth, rule over the earth. And, and, and so like what God gets at there is he says, oh, be fruitful, multiply. And so essentially this is, you know, in some theological circles called the cultural mandate. Uh, and so this is God saying like, hey, I've created this world. Now grab hold of it. Take care of these raw elements and do something with it. And so this is God's command to work. Like God sure. gives jobs to Adam and, and Eve, like right off the bat, pre-fall, pre-fall. Correct. You're getting at though is the distinction between work and toil because then after adam and eve fall into sin uh we get genesis chapter three and that's when god curses the ground and he says hey when you work it's gonna suck too right well, see, so and I, I guess that's i guess that's what i'm I, I guess that's kind of what i'm getting at is that i think that at, at its purest form vocation will ultimately be fulfilled and redeemed uh in the way that work was intended to be pre-fall yep but I don't I, sometimes, and, and like I said, if, if we're going to get off topic, then just we'll, we'll just move on. But sometimes I just feel like this idea of vocation, when it comes to work specifically, gets us to a a redeemed and renewed kind of like post new creation kind of concept of work, uh, without and sort of like I don't want to say negating or, or undermining the toiling aspect. But we kind of yeah. make it seem like, oh, great. Yeah, we're doing this for God's glory. Okay, cool. And that's where then we can slip into things like every decision about our work or or every decision about our lives then becomes this like kind of like magnanimous calling instead of maybe so, like. So my follow-up to that, when you're talking about about a job, it's, it, it's this magnanimous thing. It's God's calling. But don't we put distinctions on that? Like in terms of what certain jobs can't be God's calling, right? No, because I mean, well, I mean, it, well, let me just lay it, this it, out. It, is being, it, being a stripper God's calling? Is making firearms or ammunition, you know, that's specifically made for for guns, not so that are not hunting. You know, I don't want to get into second amendment stuff, right. but but you know, or selling pharmaceuticals that are somewhat sketchy. You know, like like is there a line? So that's the second question. Let's get there in one second, because you're right that that there is a line. Um, so we'll get to that in a second. But Josh, okay, I want to yeah, just tell Josh's point real quick. Let me just conclude this. M at least my perspective was just saying, like, for example, my vocation, and when it comes to work, is pastor. Okay, it's a Christian vocation. I'm a member of the clergy. I'm I'm responsible for being an under shepherd of Christ Church, right? Uh, and it involves a lot of toiling, a lot of pain, a lot of hurt, a lot of suffering. Uh, it's not always pleasant. And a lot of times it doesn't seem to be fruitful whatsoever. And so to me, like I, I, I often, like I know that people on the outside tend to think that pastors will glorify their own vocations as, as you know, or clergy would glorify their own vocations um, and, and callings in that sense. But at the same time, it's, I just feel like there's, we, we tend to overlook 
the the curse of the ground when we deal with the vocation of when it, specifically dealing with work or employment. So you'd say, I mean, you almost feel like the sometimes when we use vocation, we almost treat it with an overrealized eschatology to, to use a really fun. Yeah, which, which is part of the reason why I actually prefer to to limit the discussion of vocation to those three categories that you initially mentioned as citizen, yeah, family then, and church. But then you're ignoring the fact that we are we were created pre-fall to work. And so to me, that's the the distinction between um, work no, no, toil, well, right? So sure, toil sure. toil is a real thing. And I think we need to acknowledge that toil exists. Like, right. So like, and I especially think like we, the three of us, all have relatively cushy white collar jobs. I mean, don't get me wrong, it's hard and there's a struggle to it and whatever else, but like my body doesn't feel terrible at the end of the day. Like I typed on a keyboard, you know, it's not that hard. Except for when you do CrossFit. Well, that's true. Which you have to use your massage tool, which you've been flashing to us all episode long. It's true. Um, but, uh, you know, so, so like, in, in one sense, I think you're right. But I, I think the reason why vocation is so emphasized as a positive thing when it comes to work is because the toil is obvious. Toil's like easy. Everyone knows like work sucks sometimes and it's hard sometimes. Like we know that. It's to say, like, what does it mean? You know, and this is this is Paul and uh, what is this? First Corinthians, where it's like, you know, work for the Lord, but at, or work. Do your work as if you're doing it for the Lord, not for men. OK, that's fine. That's fine. I just it was just a, a minor hang up that I have when or not a moment for pause, I should say. OK, so let's let's go back to Tom's point here. Um, so the first question is, why does your work matter to God? The simple answer is your work matters to God because through you, he takes care of his creation. Now, the next question becomes, why does God matter to your work? And so this gets us to Tom's question where it says, like, is all work then a vocation? Can we actually say all work is a calling? And the answer I would say then is no. Right. Because uh, for one, uh, you're right, Tom, like being a stripper, probably not a vocation. Uh, slinging dope on the corner probably not a vocation. Um, and, and I think there's, there's jobs that like we as Christians have been really cool with that. Maybe we shouldn't be cool with that, that maybe aren't actual vocations. And so this is where it just gets dicier and trickier. And so, I don't know, I, I think I'd like us to, to maybe dig into this. Like what is, what is well, the tension? Like is a, is a hedge fund manager, is that a vocation? Yeah. See, well, and I think this is where it gets sticky because those, those, those jobs that Tom threw out to the modern or dare I say postmodern Christian sentiment, constant sentiment in America today is unsavory. You know what I mean? We, we wouldn't consider those in any way, shape or form um, honoring God. Okay. Uh, and I'm just going to put it out there. I, I know that's kind of a gross overgeneralization, but I'm just going to use that language. Right. But, that's because we we tend to see uh, or, or make really we, we try to make really clear cut distinctions between what is quote unquote Christian, what is quote unquote godly, etc. Um, but that that tends to be contextualized. You know what I mean? Like you and I. Well, I mean, here's an example. So like Kendrick Lamar, right? Yeah. He is he is a rapper and. For all intents and purposes, he's a self-professed Christian, and yet yeah. his Christianity does not mesh with mainline, mainline, like say, white Protestant evangelicalism. Sure. And so many Christians 
would say, well, his music isn't honoring to God, and so therefore his vocation is somehow invalid or um, you know not up to par. Mm-hmm. And but if we apply that same kind of interpretive lens, and we have to even look at say Luther um, and during the period of the Reformation, like. Would it really have been the most honoring thing to God to perpetuate systems, you know, where fiefdoms and and uh, there was needs for peasant revolts and and there was inequity? You know what I'm saying? Like we, we tend to contextualize vocation and, and and make these distinctions on on what fits our our models of of what sentimental satisfactory Christianity is. Well, so so you bring up Kendrick Lamar and. Okay, you're you're a Christian, but your your music doesn't fit what I think Scripture would say is a positive outcome of your Christianity. You know, you look at other jobs, like you know, you got all these jokes about lawyers and things like that. Well, being a lawyer is an honorable job, but it's how you, just like any other career or profession, it's how you how you hold yourself accountable. Are you ethical? Are, are you doing this with, with, so, with some so moral way, standing? So in what so, way, so in what way is, is Kendrick Lamar's faith? Not that. So here's the deal. So Josh, this is like tapping into it. Cause I think like, okay, like you're running a porn shop, you're a stripper, you're slinging dope on the court. Like these ones are just like, it's clear cut, like not sure. a good thing to do. Okay. Kendrick Lamar is a great example. Right. And so there is this like often, uh, it's it's misattributed to Luther, but it gets at, I think, his understanding pretty well in which the, the quote goes something along these lines like uh, a Christian cobbler, Christian shoemaker uh, is not a Christian shoemaker because he puts little crosses on every shoe that he makes. He's a Christian shoemaker because he makes excellent shoes for the people he's selling them to. And and so there's this this notion of, you know, and, and this is uh, Max Weber and the, the Protestant worth ethic, work ethic too, right? Such a good book. Such a good oh. book. Mm. Uh, so at any rate, but like, the, you know, his, th- this idea in, in Protestantism in particular of uh, that this work is for the Lord. And so I am going to do it with excellence. And so I, you know, for me, Kendrick Lamar fits that in a really profound way and that he probably is, I think one of the best artists because he's really good at what he does right well, yeah, so that's yes, where it's tricky yes. that's where it's tricky Tom. yeah right. okay You're okay right. because okay, Tom, okay so, make, so you stick hey the best so you play math in minneapolis that's no, dude, god's but, calling because i make the no, best crystal math no 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 no, 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 no. listen to this okay you you play Kendrick. okay tom your church we're not going to name the name of the church that you attend okay but if you were to play kendrick lamar all right on sunday as as part of worship right what would be the general yeah. reaction from the from most, if not all, the congregation? Yeah, they would hate it and they'd walk out. Right? If you were to play Kendrick Lamar in my congregation on a Sunday morning, everyone would be like, oh, man, yeah, wow, I'm in the same place. Like, he gets he gets the Bible. He gets life. There, there would be no offense taken whatsoever. Yeah. And so that's, that's why I'm saying a lot of this is highly contextualized. Um, and, and gets to this issue of of how we delineate and, and define vocation and what qualifies as pleasing to God, honoring to God, fulfilling a, a, a godly um, you know uh, um, vocation in and of itself is that it, it's sort of like ha- it depends on the interpreter or who is on the receiving end of that vocation. Um, and I mean, this this honestly is a conversation for another episode because hip hop is demonized in almost every aspect of American culture today, uh, except for predominantly black communities and or, or communities of color. 
Um, so that, that's a completely different conversation. So we should probably move away from Kendrick Lamar as the example. However, I think we need to speak to this idea of who gets to define, who gets to uh, interpret the the validity or the you know the the quality of one's vocation. Yeah, well, and that's where you know I mean, and I've heard in his sermons, you know, Tim, Tim Keller. People don't know he's a excellent preacher in New York City and author and whatever else. And he wrote a book on vocation called Every Good Endeavor. Highly recommend it. Um, but at any rate. You know, I've heard in his sermon, him in, in sermons he's preached where he's like said, like, you know, a hedge fund manager is a godly vocation because you're you're allocating resources that help uh, enable other people to, you know, uh, gain wealth and access and and food and the, the necessities of life. And so it's it's an honorable thing to do that. But some may say, oh, man, you're uh, how can you possibly say that they're they're perpetuating a system that's you know, crushing other people and taking money from other people. And then it's, it's competitive and greedy. And, and how could they possibly be, that be a good thing. And so I think you're all right. Like Josh, th there's like this contextual thing that, that comes into play. And so I, you know, this is maybe an overly simplistic answer, but I think if, if I look at vocations, the, the in a job understanding, I would say like the, per, the, the reason why God matters to your work is because it shapes you to look at your work as being done for the good of your neighbor. And so to say like, like, so in that sense, Tom, like you can make the best crystal meth in the entire world. That's never going to be a good thing for your neighbor. Whereas, and I'm going to bring back Kendrick Lamar, uh, he can <clears throat> make incredible music that, you know, is going to offend some people. And maybe there are aspects of it that are not right. However, his excellence in art is going to benefit his neighbor. And, now, see, and so, so ultimately, I, I agree with the first part of that statement that you said. His music can have can have a positive impact on the on the listener because of what he says or how he says it. But but you lose me when you say because he does it well. Oh, the, but that, Tom, the, if you do that, that of course, if you do that, then every, then every Christian recording artist that comes out of Nashville bro. is incredibly offensive because their music is terrible. The, the quality of the musicianship is terrible. Mm -hmm. Well, that's what I'm saying. It, it, the quality of it doesn't doesn't make it Christian or not. No, it but, doesn't uh, doesn't make it pleasing to God or no, not. You're right, you're right. It's not the quality, but it's the interpretation of the quality. Because how many churches in America would say, "Oh yeah, let's just take a Tomlin or Redmond song, and it's immediately okay." And not just okay, but the best worship music on the planet because it comes from a Christian songwriter uh, or singer or musician, uh, and, and therefore it is of the highest quality. Uh, yeah, and man. fail to look at the actual excellence of the musician or lyrics that or, or lyricism that that's entailed. You know what I mean? I do yeah, think I mean, excellence actually does have it. something to do with it, though. I think excellence has something to do with it. Like, I, I, I in as far as it relates to God, and as far as it being honoring to God, like, you, you know, I think. Mm, how do I put this? Like, you, I mean, let's just like frame it in, in a pastoral context. Like a dude throws together a sermon that it's got law, it's got gospel, it's orthodox, and it sticks to the text, but it stinks. Guess what, man? You didn't do your job. Like there is an excellence factor to it. Or you know, let's let's go to Tom's thing. Where no, it's no, like, no, 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 no. But but take take a different example. You have a person who pours his heart and soul into the sermon, but it stinks. 
because he's not a good preacher, but he poured his heart and soul into it. And it did involve law and it did involve gospel. And it did do, it checked all your boxes that you're supposed to have for a sermon, but it's just not a good sermon. It's not excellent in any way. Then he didn't do his vocation very well. I, I mean, I don't know. I, I think then he maybe did not do it as, as well as he should have, or he should find another vocation. So the, so the, well, so the end of your argument, if you're not good at what you do, then it's not honoring God. Well, let, hey, hold That's on, hold on. That's the end of your argument. Wait, 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 wait. Hold and on. Let me, let me, that judgment. wait, let, let me throw something in here real quick. Let me throw I something. Didn't hit my, I, I didn't hit my fundraising goals last year, so I'm not honoring God. No, no, no. Hold on. Let me throw something in here. By the way, I didn't. I hit him. Great, great job, Tom. We're you know all very what? proud of you, buddy. You should get a badge or a sticker. We'll, we'll send you one. Yeah. You know what? Can we get a rosé sticker? Anyone? Oh, Lord. Anyone? Yeah. I'm going to keep you put, If you put together a crap podcast where you talk about rosé every <laughs> three seconds. <laughs> okay. Listen, let me throw this in there. Is there anything to – I mean, uh, do we need to weigh in just the sheer accessibility of everything – anywhere at any time into this conversation mm, yeah so like point. so like here here's here's a question so tom like i have i have sworn in my sermons right mm -hmm. you, you have listened to sermons in which i've sworn yep okay in my context that is excellence it, it, in a way okay I'm, I'm not saying that like i i you know like try to do that every single time but in a way it is is an excellent quality of my preaching that i'm willing to demonstrate a down-to-earth realism in my sure. context yep. that's not meant like when i'm preparing that sermon and trying to be excellent in that preparation and presentation i'm not thinking of thomas o'neill and yet you experienced it no. okay no. so so my question is does the ex there's a sheer accessibility of everything on planet earth right now impact the way that we contextualize the quality of one's you know product of vocation well so i think that's no, one I, factor. I don't think so we're talking about a very subjective thing here i mean who's at the end of the day who's who's the judge of whether it's excellent or not but see that's the point because you were making a subjective statement that kendrick lamar in his vocation is not necessarily honoring in the way that he should but right now you're saying well it's entirely subjective so who's to say i i i'm ar i'm arguing the subject subjective piece on on the excellence of it so i think you're right i get what you're saying tom because i mean i i think you're right i was maybe a bit harsh because like <clears throat> let's say there's some pastor out there who does everything he can does everything he can to make his sermon great and he's just like it's just not his gift he's just not like a yeah. great preacher like that just didn't happen on the A-Pest. Yeah, you know, whatever. And that's, and, you know, who's to say? That could be me, uh, you know, and and so. It is me. I mean, let's just be real. It well, is fact, me. That's why yeah. Tom start, stopped listening to my sermons. Yeah. yeah. But, um, so I, I do see your point there, Tom. And, but at the same time, I think, then maybe it is in the heart of it. Maybe I'm, yeah, I don't know, like, that's too that cheesy, was... but I think it's maybe in the heart of it. Th that would if my be... heart is to work for the Lord and not for man. That's where it's at. No, but right. see, okay, but here's the thing. Like, so, so to bring up Tim Keller, okay, he uses three categories when it comes to now. He's dealing with more like metrics um, and measuring the effectiveness of your local church, and and he breaks it down into being successful, 
which is that your excellence results in, and mind you, I'm, I'm kind of appropriating this term excellence into his categories, but right. your excellence results in uh, success, meaning numbers grow, money Lots is gifted. Okay, right? Yeah. Great. Your traditional measurements of church success. But then he also says there that there's a category which is he defines as orthodox, which means I mean I'm sorry, which is um, faithful, which means that you are orthodox but incompetent, mm -hmm. meaning you actually suck at everything you do, but you've got the law, gospel, and application nailed, right? You're a terrible preacher. You're terrible at interpersonal communications, right? You're just generally just like kind of an annoying person to be around, but you're incredibly orthodox. So therefore you are faithful, which I think kind of speaks to this conversation you and Tom have been having about the pastor who maybe not have the best oral presentation skills, but at least presents things in an orthodox manner. And then you've got the third category, which is fruitful, which means that, hey, you know what? I'm orthodox. Um, I'm also tr trying to be successful, but ultimately realizing that God is going to be the one that, that produces the, the fruit from any seeds or watering or tilling of the soil. Now, that takes it to a whole different conversation. However, I think the first two categories are helpful in the sense uh, uh, when we talk about vocation, where we tend to define people as like, oh, man, they are really like in line with their vocation because of their success or uh, maybe this guy should consider a different vocation because yeah, he might be orthodox, but he's just an idiot or he's just not capable of, you know, like mesmerizing us with a sermon or whatever. But okay. So we're, 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 we're talking about two extremes and maybe not two extremes, but we're talking about a lot of pastor stuff here, which I would, I'm, I'm willing to bet that of our 15,000 downloads that like seven of them are from pastors. And then we, then we're talking about stripper, strippers and drug dealers on the other side. Right. There's, but there's, it, there's a middle ground here. Most of our listeners are, are in. So let's just take your, your middle of the road accountant who is been in the career for 15 years and things hold, like hold, that. Hold on, hold on. Let's, let's not even do that. What about the other categories? Citizen, family, and church. No, no, no. Wait, wait. Be before we get there, because I that's think that's a whole, that, that's a whole different topic. You have an accountant who is working for some big company. They're, you know, they're they're a number in this huge company. That's it. You know, but they do their job. They do their job as well as they can. They're not. They're not going to become the CFO because they don't have the skills or they don't have the political pull or whatever it is, or they're, they're maybe just not excellent as we've been talking about, but they're, but they're good. They're serviceable. Um, they try hard. They try to act with, with integrity to yeah. never fudge the numbers and all of this stuff, a law abiding God abiding person. Yeah. And they're trying to do this. I think all of you would agree that their vocation is to be an accountant for this big company they're doing it to their best of their ability, whether it's excellent or not. Yeah. But God see, to me, that, that to is, do. that is excellence. Yeah. If they're, if they can, yeah. if they're doing their job and, and they're doing a good job and they're committed to that job and they're just like handling business that to me, that is excellent. They don't okay, have to that, be but, CEO but that wasn't your argument, though. That wasn't your argument when you were talking about music before, because you have, whether you like Chris Tomlin or Matt Redman or not, or not, if you're going to say that they're not a good musician, but they're trying their hardest to put out a, a, a musical product that is honoring God, that is that is somewhat musical, that people can sing along to, they're trying hard to do that. And Chris Tomlin is huge, so let's just take your middle 
Whatever. Yeah, think... Your argument was that it's not excellent because you don't like it. No, that was it. That was a direct comparison between like what mainstream musicianship would consider top quality innovative music uh, and what we settle for in the church. Right. And my argument is that that you. But I don't know that... anything about accounting. I, numbers well, confuse me. Well, that that's fine. But like you, but but the fact that the vocation is is what God is calling you to do doesn't. I don't think rests on how excellent it is but i think it does yeah you're i, I get what you're saying Tom, but i think it does rest on it does rest on your heart towards god in the midst yes of it. yes absolutely okay if so I'll if you that. Yeah, yeah yeah but the, if you but you can't always control that outcome right so you can be right the musician who's not as good as kendrick lamar you can be the Pastor's not as good as Matt Chandler, right? Like I'm not as good as him. He's a better preacher than I am. He's a better leader than I am. Like fact, it's just a fact. I'm trying my hardest, but he's better, you know? Right. And so that doesn't mean I'm not honoring God. It just means I don't have the skills he has. Right. But you may have different skills and, and then, and then there are other parts, and this is going to get into what Josh, you were going into, that there are other parts of our vocation that it can't just be centered on just our work. Right. That's true. Okay. So let's, let's say this, let's say this, you, your work matters to God insofar as, or I'm, excuse me, God matters to your work uh, insofar as you do it to his glory and out of service to your neighbor. We good with that? Yeah. I mean, cause it handled, it, it covers the two commandments that Jesus identifies as the greatest ones. Mm -hmm. Love your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself. So, yes, agreed. All right. All right. Do we have time to consider the other vocations? Let's do it quick. Okay. I think so. Yeah. So we've got family. We've got citizen. We've got a uh, member of a local congregation. Now, maybe maybe let's just get into this because we were talking about this off air. Let's just, let's just do it. Is there an order? Is there a priority to this? Right? Because there's this, you know, this kind of constant refrain of like, on their deathbed, no one ever wishes they would have worked more, right? You know, they they, they mm -hmm. wish they would have spent more time with their family. They wish they would have done X, Y, or Z. But no one ever says, I wish I would have spent more time in the office. Um, and that makes sense to me. That's probably true. So I, should we say, um, is there a right order to fulfilling your vocations? And if so, what does that look like when they come into conflict? Yeah, because this is what... what... This is something I heard time and time again at the seminary, and since I've been ordained and and in pastoral ministry, that my primary vocation is husband and father. My secondary vocation is pastor. Um, and yet, time and time again, while at the seminary, I witnessed people kind of using that as a crutch to like just not turn in papers. You know, like oh well, my family took precedent. <clears throat> and my primary vocation as father and husband made it so that I, I literally couldn't do the work that I had to do to pass this class family. Um, and on a more practical level right now, there have been many weeks. I mean, Sunday comes every seven days, people. All right. And in a small church like mine where, where I'm, in, I'm the worship leader, I'm the preacher, you know, I'm, I'm a number of other tasks. Like there are times where I have stuff going on in my family that inhibits my normal ability to prepare for Sunday. And if I were to say, well, you know what? Primary vocation, father, husband, secondary vocation, pastor, 
then Sunday just wouldn't happen. There may not be music for worship. There may not be a sermon to be preached. There may not be communion prepared. You know what I'm saying? And so like in, in what ways do we rank these vocations um, appropriately? Okay, so you can rank them all you want, but they're intertwined mm. and and they go in and out. So I'll, I'll bring this example. And we taught this a lot at Camp Luther when we have when we talk about values. Uh, back in the day, Disney World had a set of five values, and their number one value was never get out of character. And number two was, you know, customer first and so on down the line. And their fifth value was safety. But it was a hard rule that number one was number one and number two was number two and down the line. And so there was this incident where this kid real danger and and of getting hurt and there was screaming and and please help please help please help and very near the child in easy reach of help was mickey mouse and a photographer you know doing their thing and number one rule never get out of character so mickey mouse couldn't go and help the photographer couldn't help because they had their job to do and so the kid got really hurt or died or something like that and so Disney World had to reevaluate their values and say, look, it can't always be number one. If safety, if there's a kid in mortal danger, you go ahead and take off that Mickey, go and help the kid. Yeah. You do that, you know? And so to say that number one, I'm a father and, you know, we were saying this at break. My dad's a pastor and there was times when we were throwing the ball around and I'm, we're having a great father son talk and I might've been pouring my soul and my mom leans out the window and says, call and someone's got a, had a heart attack and is going to the hospital. And Dad's got to leave right now. He's got to get there. His number one vocation at that point is being a pastor. My conversation in that time has to wait, right? Yeah, I think there so, is. So it goes in and out, in and out. You can't always just say, I'm not doing my paper because I'm, I'm, a, I'm a family man first. So I would say... <laughs> You need to get your paper so that you can graduate and get a job and provide well, for them. So there is that, right? So so in one sense, choosing to do one vocation over another at a given time can still inadvertently be a way of prioritizing said family, right? So Yeah, without question. Um, so like, yeah, Josh, like you don't get stuff together Sunday. You don't have a church anymore. And if you don't have a church anymore, you don't have a job. If you have a job, your kids don't have food to eat, right? I mean, like, there's there's a way in which those things do intertwine. And I think there's a way in which, like, season and life plays into it, too. And and that's perhaps an abused term in the church, but, but uh, you <laughs> to know, say the, uh, <laughs> just to say the least. But uh, it's, a, it's a very quaint colloquialism in the it church. Is, it is. A little yes. Christianese. But, but no, I mean, like, you know, so, for example, like, my – we're expecting our third child right now. Like I true story. If you were to ask me two years ago, what I thought I'd be doing coming this exact fall, I would have said, I'm going back for more schooling. I'm being in grad school again. And now I'm not going to be in the school of diaper changing. I'm going to be in the school of diaper changing. Right? Like, because listen, you know, mm -hmm. would, would getting more education, uh, help my career? Yes. Would it, would it help depending on how you took our last episode, Zach, yeah, yeah, Zach. You know, it would probably help me as a pastor in my context. You know, like all this stuff, it makes more sense for me to get more schooling. And yet, in this season of life, 
like there, there's just no doubt that to be a good husband and a good father, I just can't do that. Like I, I need to be home more and slow things down and say, all right, this is what I'm gonna do. So I, I think it's to me, I, I do rank vocation, but it's more of like a posture, not a like a hard and fast, right? So so my my posture in my ranking of vocation is well, child of God, then husband, father, pastor, and then everything else. Which and, and to to your point that you just made, I think that there. I mean, to be honest, and in transparency and honesty and vulnerability, like there are so many times that pastors go the opposite direction and say, and and they sacrifice their families for the sake of this in their minds higher calling to the church, well, um, and, and they prioritize. You know what I mean? So I mean, we do have that's to say that all all. And I think all job, all Tom, careers, I think all that's a great point, actually. Like if we go all careers, that's a great point. Because oftentimes, man, if I had a nickel for every pastor I heard be like, you know, instead of taking care of your kids, you're out there pursuing your career or making more money or doing X, Y, or Z. And it's like, bro, pastors do the exact same thing. We just, you yes, know, more exactly. money, you just get more exactly. glory. Uh, and, and so, no, it, it, you're right, Tom. It's, it's, it's across all careers where we'll say like, well, hey, no, I got to work 70 hours a week because that way I'll make money, more money, and then I can afford to pay for my kid's college tuition. And in one sense, man, that sounds really nice. But in another sense, it's like, dude, you should have thrown the ball with your kid instead of getting him an extra 2K that is going to cover books for one semester. Because yeah. then it's going to end up as Ted Kaczynski and like do a bunch of t- like terrorist bombings. Yeah, and he tied pots. That that is obviously the thing that will happen. That's that's the legitimate jump there. But I think that is the I mean, that's the question that we can't answer here is is how to do that that juggle of of career versus family and, and how to have that proper life work balance. I mean Wait, yes, so if I worked a little yeah. harder, if I if I worked more hours, I would make more money, I would do this and that, and my kids could have this and that or go to this college. On the other hand, if I didn't work, I would have more time to throw the ball around. I'd have more time to be at family dinner. Dude, Wait, so me. you're saying we have to use our God-given brains to well, make you, these types of decisions? Yeah, but let me let me let me also float this out there. I do think it's an issue of I, I guess I'd say sanctification and virtue ethics, where um, big words. So, I know big, but sorry, Tom. So, for example. <laughs> um, Sorry. Oh, he hates that. You know, oh. I'm sorry for saying oh, sorry. Oh, I can't believe you did that. I'm sorry for saying sorry. Okay. Um, I didn't do that. It was Gabe. I'm sorry. Okay. So keep no, going. I'm, I'm in a discipleship group with some local pastors, and I was talking with one of them, and he's like, dude, so why did why did you move to Ann Arbor? You know, like, seemed like things were good in Texas, X, Y, and Z. And I laid out for a few reasons, but then I said, you know, like, Ultimately, man, like I could just sense like God was telling me like, hey, there's some arrogance and some pride building up in you, Gabe. And like you need to get humbled. You need to go to a place where I can work on your heart, chip away some of this stuff and like get your butt off. What's it? Well, freeze my butt off for sure. But but get you more in line with with uh, who I've created you to be uh, in in terms of your your piety, your holiness, your your sanctification. and and so at any rate and so i said that and my buddy just goes dude that's the only reason you need he's like i would put 99 percent of your chips in that basket as to why you're here 
that like you being shaped into the right kind of person is is the most important part of you having made this move and and the more i've thought about it the more i'm like yeah i think he's right and and in many ways i think that's true for everybody that like it it's it's about like we will only appropriately do our vocations if we've been appropriately sanctified and or had character built into us had virtue built into us and and so i think it does come down to saying like how do i posture myself to make the right decisions with the different responsibilities and roles that i've been given does that make sense so like let me even put it this way i i literally i just counseled a, a student on this i uh, hope he doesn't mind me talking about it but he's like he's a senior this year graduated from umm he got an offer to a great company as an electrical engineer and it was like really good money really good position good starting place to be he also got offered another position that would have been um a year-long sort of internship that would have actually really shaped him to understand the relationship between faith and work uh it's, it's an organization that does that like like our conversation is like peanuts compared to what they do and um and he was he's like dude i'm really torn do i do this like internship that maybe i'm not gonna get very much money and i'm not gonna like do X, Y, and Z, but they're going to help shape me to understand my vocation. Da, 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 da. And so he and I talked through it because he's like, and I was like, well, I don't know. What do you want to do with your money? What do you want to do with your life? And he's like, dude, I want to be generous. I want to do this stuff. I'm like, man, you're like, you're already there. Like, what, what do you need to be taught? Like, go do the job that like lines up with what you've studied and with what works for you and, and start doing the things that you have in your heart right now that are clearly godly things. And, and so it was like, one seemed like, oh, this is clearly the ministry honorable path to go. And the other seemed like, oh, you're just in it for money. But it was like, no, man, he's in it that way because he knows he can have a greater impact right off the bat. Yeah. And I, I would agree with that. Yeah. And, and so, but so, but he was someone whose character, I mean, he's a very honorable young man. And so it was like his, his character had been shaped to such a degree that like, that's how we saw it. Mm -hmm. And that, that to me is like, you know, of course he's not perfect and none of us are, but like that to me is the idea is that for us to say, how do we get to this point where we're looking at these different callings and, and asking the right questions all the time and we won't always get it right, but to at least try as often as possible. When I think it comes down to seeking, seeking God's will. And that means spending time in prayer. That means talking with your friends, your family, your pastor, you know, people who can help, who can help shape some of those thoughts and ideas and, and decisions. Yep. And most definitely singing that song. Seek ye first the kingdom of God. This is why we don't have 30,000. This is why we don't have 30,000 listeners right here. YouTube singing. And gosh, do you remember when we used to open every episode singing nineties uh oh, You know, those were the best days. Those are, those are glory those are, days of They were the glory days of Pine Glass Preachers and poor Tom, he just he just kinda killed that for us. Those are the like days. It. He didn't like those our singing. The, those are the days. Those are days when we only had thirty people listening to us, and when they did listen to us, they'd yell at us for saying bad things. So Ah, uh, well, whatever. I think it's time for a break. I don't know if we can wrap this up, but we're going to sure as H-U-Double Hockey 6 try when we come back. 
Well, friends, let's just be honest. There's really no wrapping this up. Oh, so we did we a fantastic try. job at the end of our last uh, Yeah. Yeah. I mean, we could try. We could try to put a nice little cute bow on it. But ultimately, this is a tension we must all live with. How do we not only serve God with our work, our uh, husbandry, our wifery? Um, I mean, shoot, if we're a hedge fund manager, how do we serve God with our ability to manage finances? These are all hedge questions that manager, managery, 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 something. It's terrible. Like I said, numbers confuse me. But what doesn't confuse me is the need to ultimately serve God and primarily love our neighbor. Because um, if we do love God with our heart, soul, mind, and strength, then we will love our neighbor as a result. And so uh, we're just gonna we're just gonna keep this uh, where it is for tonight, and we're not gonna go any deeper or further into it. Uh, ultimately, it's up to you and your context and your ability to answer the questions that we raised tonight uh, within your own particular vocation. There you have it, gang. Wow! Shout outs, real quick. First of all, to our biggest fan. Janet, we love you. Janet, going to be in the Twin Cities in a couple of weeks. We can't wait to have you on. She could be on the podcast. It could happen. Please be on the podcast. Please. We'd love to have you. Also, shout out to Zach, Tom's biggest nemesis. Uh, But also also biggest fan. But also biggest fan. Real contradiction in terms. It's a mess. Gosh, Uh, paradox. That is fine. Also, man, if you want to have beef with Tom, (laughs) 612-208-6258. (laughs) <laughs> That's the only reason to text if you have beef with Tom. Just beef Tom. And um, I will read your text and spend, I will spend the week stewing about it and write a rant. It'll be yeah. great. Ah, share your rosé stories too. Please, please. There Just one no rosé story. story. Don't give us any. There I'll stop. Any. Just one is all it takes. Actually, yeah. Hold on. If you have one, please, for the love, just send it to us so Josh can stop this craziness. Or we're going to make you listen to an entire episode about us talking about Rosé. We'll do Rosé reviews. We will. Uh... <laughs> I'm quitting. I'm quitting. This is it. We're not even going to make episode 50. This is the end it's of done. us. It's Are done. we almost to 50? We got to be. Yeah. Are you almost to 50? Kobe. Oh. 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 And friends, that's all she wrote. So we'll catch you on the next episode of Pint and Glass Preachers. Over and out. Dot com. What? Yeah.